Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm joined from Tallahassee by Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. Hey, John. Hello, Zach. And joining me from Pembroke Pines is Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. Howdy, Antonio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, the coronavirus vaccine began arriving in Florida with much fanfare this week. We'll talk about how Governor Ron DeSantis is handling the vaccine rollout, the governor's ongoing tap dance around the question of calling Joe Biden, president-elect, and some brewing drama with Ivanka Trump moving to Florida and potentially uh, looking to run for office in this state. But first, we all know what that music means. Uh, you guys have uh, some numbers for us today. How about you, John? Zach, I do. I, you'll think I've been saving this number up all year. Like the, uh, you know, it's the biggest package under the tree. For for, for me, my number is four point six million. That's a big package, John. But I think I can beat you <laughs> on that one. Antonio, uh, how about you? You know what? As I've said so many times in the podcast, when John goes high, I go low. So I'm going with twenty one thousand seven hundred eighty. And I'm going to come in with the biggest package of all five billion that's five billion with a b so 4.6 million for john antonio 21,780 and five billion for me remember those numbers folks we'll tell you what they mean in florida politics at the end of the show well floridians rejoiced monday as the first shipment of coronavirus vaccines arrived in the state only five hospitals are getting the vaccine to start but that should expand very quickly and governor ron DeSantis said this week that more than a million people could be vaccinated in florida by the end of december Antonio, this is a really, really big deal. It's a huge relief for many people after a very, very difficult nine months. Does this uh, take some of the heat off DeSantis for his hands-off approach to an outbreak that is still pretty bad in Florida? Well, Zach, you know, uh, conventional wisdom would say yes. You know, with the vaccine rollout, you know, millions of Floridians now see light at the end of the tunnel. And older Floridians in particular, you know, could, are probably thinking that their, their, their days of isolation and confinement will come to an end early in the new year. Uh, not to mention the threat to their own lives. I know the elders in my family are certainly thinking that, and I'm sure the elders in many other families are, are thinking much the same. And you would also think that the many, many unemployed service workers in Florida must feel relief that a return to normalcy in 2021 that will allow them to regain their jobs and livelihoods might be possible. Now, the reality, the practical reality is, is a bit different. For starters, Florida has seen a fall resurgence of COVID-19 cases. We are now posting four figures and low high figure infection increases per day on almost daily basis. And more than 20,000 Floridians have now lost their lives to the virus. And here's the thing, an untold number of those infections and deaths could have been avoided, as we've discussed many times. They, you know, they could have been avoided with much more stringent and disciplined use of face coverings and social distancing. So do you think the political damage is already done here? I mean, it, it seems like, you know, there's there is, like you said, a light at the end of the tunnel. But um, the governor is just 
you know, taken a beating uh, for his approach from his critics. Obviously, there's a lot of people who support his approach as well, but it seems to have changed the perception of him. And and I don't know that, you know, vaccines or anything is going to really uh, change that. I mean, he he's become more hardened, more defensive, more argumentative. Uh, it's, it's sort of a different governor that we're seeing now. It is. And that's where I think the the, the political risk here is because the group that he is trying to appeal to the most, and he did this, and I'll talk a little bit about it in a minute, when this presser that he did here in West Palm Beach this week, but the group that he's trying to really appeal to is the business group and particularly their employees. Um, and the, but the, you know, and I've said this before, and, I, and again, I spent the, the week, you know, talking to the people that I know that are in business as, as a former business writer and editor, and they still do not understand why the government has taken this route, you know, not favoring a mask mandate or at least making a big deal of using face coverings and social distancing. They, they've made the argument, you know, the, the face coverings, wearing a mask does work and it allows broad swaths of the economy to remain open, to people to continue to be employed, to businesses to prosper, even as people you know, take these precautions that, uh, that, that, that work and, and seem to have an, a, a, a positive impact. Now, you know, you know the, the fact that they've made, made the argument that you know, reducing infections helps people become more confident about coming out of their homes and engaging in commerce, reducing infections. As we said before, you know, sick people can't go to restaurants, sick people can't go shopping, sick people can't even go to the, the theme park. So keeping people healthy is also critical. They say, these business sources of mine say, it's critical to keeping the economy as much as the economy is open. Now, he, like I mentioned before, he held a press conference at the Okeechobee Steakhouse in West Palm Beach, and there he defended his opposition to a mask mandate, even though he was wearing a mask through much, much of the of the event, and the people that were there surrounding him were all wearing a mask. Um, you know, more importantly, he also spoke about the plight of restaurant workers and service industry employees in general. Specifically, he claimed that you know he has kept the economy open, permitting people to keep their jobs, buy houses, and not lose their way of life. And in short, he seemed to be laying out what will be his key campaign themes in 2022, namely that he will appeal to voters, especially these working class voters, saying he kept them employed. Uh, the press conference, by the way, had this kind of this Trumpian script as the employees and business owners who spoke also began their remarks by thanking the Santis and then praising his leadership. Kind of the way that we've seen public events at Trump's White House con conducted where you know speakers lavish adulation on the president. Now, I mentioned all this because it, it doesn't appear that DeSantis, even though we're seeing this vaccine rollout that is making so, giving so many people optimism and hope, it doesn't seem that DeSantis is really going to be staking his gubernatorial legacy on vaccines. And politically, you know, you got to say that's probably smart. You know, Trump is taking the credit for the vaccine, and that's going to be a crowded bandwagon anyway. In fact, this morning, the, Trump himself tweeted, you know, quote unquote, the vaccine and vaccine rollout are getting the best of reviews. Moving along really well, get those shots, everyone. So, you know, I, I think the vaccine is something that Trump is going to claim credit to, and perhaps the governor and me might. There's there's reason to think it's true that the the DeSantis's lane would be the economy, and there is time between now and the election in 2022. There is time for Florida's economy to bounce back, and and then DeSantis would be in a position to take credit for that comeback. That seems plausible. The question, as we've discussed last week and so many times, is will the damage from largely downplaying the virus and not uh, aligning yourself with these with face coverings and social distances and these, these policies 
that would have kept the death rate lower, that would have kept the infection rate lower. Does that do such much damage in Florida and across the country that it prevents the kind of economic resurgence that the governor is banking on? Yeah, I, I don't think that he gets much credit for the vaccines, but I, I do think that, um, you know, it could um, start to you know, get people to, to, you know, kind of move on and, and uh, start uh, thinking about other things. And, and when they look back on this time, um, you know, they, they might uh, be happy that the, he kept things open and that uh, um, they still had jobs. Uh, I think the, the political positions on this are pretty hardened. And uh, at this point, um, you know, the governor is, is not uh, backing down an inch from his position. So, um, you know, his critics are going to be his critics. And it, it seems like he's thinking that um, he'll he'll appeal to, like you said, these these working class folks, these restaurant workers, um, you know, people in the tourism industry, people who might not be really political, you know, who might not have a, a real strong affiliation with Republicans or Democrats. Maybe they're MPAs or maybe they're loosely affiliated with either party. But, you know, when it comes to putting their, um, you know, to paying their bills and putting food on the table might uh, might be happy that, uh, you know, the governor, um, you know, push for that. Uh, so we'll see. It did seem to work uh, for Trump in Florida this election cycle. Well, on the same day that vaccines began arriving at hospitals around the country, the Electoral College met to certify Joe Biden's victory. This usually is a very little noticed bureaucratic formality, but this year it took on an outsized significance because Donald Trump has refused to concede the election. Many Republicans have gone along with Trump as he challenged the election results in court, but those court challenges have failed. And with the Electoral College vote, the idea of challenging the election is becoming increasingly untenable. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell recognized Joe Biden as president-elect Tuesday for the first time. Florida Republicans, such as Congressman Vern Buchanan, did the same. But DeSantis continued to tap dance around the issue Tuesday. John, you were at the cabinet meeting where DeSantis was asked about recognizing Biden's victory. What did he have to say? Well, well, the governor clearly didn't want to go there and acknowledge a Biden win. And maybe even worse, uh, that would mean a loss by President Trump, who, uh, of course, is DeSantis's political mentor. Uh, Trump's tweets supported uh, by DeSantis's candidacy in 2018 and, and basically helped create him as a candidate, kind of like a Dr. Frankenstein. But, uh, you know, DeSantis, a day after the uh, Electoral College vote was we voted, DeSantis was asked if he accepted Biden's win. And he responded, quote, it's not for me to do. But here's what I would say. Obviously, we did our thing in Florida. The college voted. What's going to happen is going to happen. So, you know, that, that's not exactly a clear acceptance. Uh, uh, I, I guess that keeps uh, DeSantis out of Trump's doghouse by, uh, you know, doing anything that would so seem like an acknowledgement that uh, Trump had lost and Biden had won. But uh, DeSantis said that Trump uh, leaving the White House is, is quote, unfortunate for Florida because he, he may no longer, as, as he described it, be a phone call away from getting everything done soon. You know, you got to remember DeSantis put the arm on Trump, uh, you know, a lot, as Trump might say, for, for state help with uh, coronavirus equipment, uh, hurricane money, help with the uh, the dike around Lake Okeechobee, Everglades money and, and, and more, you know. But now uh, with Biden in the White House, DeSantis is sort of setting up the Democrat as, uh, you know, maybe stiffing Florida on needed stuff. Uh, we, we'll see about that. I, I think Democrats are going to be eager to set the stage for 
a DeSantis defeat in two years. And uh, who knows, you know, maybe even a takedown of Republican Senator Marco Rubio that year, too. But um, obviously, that's going to be tough. But freezing out the state may not be the way to uh, woo Florida voters to the Democratic side. So we'll see about how uh, how, how difficult it is for the uh, DeSantis administration to work with the Biden administration. You know, and, and then lastly, in a, in a final shot after the uh, cabinet meeting this week, DeSantis also managed to suggest that the legal assault that Biden and uh, maybe our whole democracy has been under uh, with, with Trump in the week since the November election, that that uh, is somehow justifiable payback. Uh, DeSantis said there was a lot of frustration from Trump supporters that Hillary Clinton and Democrats in 2016 uh, would not accept Trump as president, as he as he saw it. Uh, now that may be DeSantis's view, but he clearly is forgetting about you know how much controversy and investigation Trump brought on himself during the four years of his presidency, which uh, you know despite. Trump's legal efforts now and the compliance of most Republicans, including DeSantis and Attorney General Ashley Moody, who brought Florida into that Texas lawsuit that was rejected by the United States Supreme Court. Well, you know, Trump's time in the White House is indeed winding down, whether they like it or not. John, I mean, we've become so desensitized to norm breaking during the Trump presidency. Uh, this is this is pretty uh, unusual stuff. I mean, uh, you know, DeSantis is saying that some Democrats didn't uh, recognize Trump as a legitimate president. And that is true. I mean, there was uh, plenty of Democrats who um, didn't like Trump, uh, were refusing to, uh, you know, kind of really uh, uh, recognize that uh, he had become president or, or just didn't want to believe that. But it wasn't really like the people in power. You didn't have governors, um, you know, around the country refusing to call Trump president elect or like huge uh, groups of people in Congress or, uh, you know, uh, attorney generals uh, suing to uh, try and overturn election results um, in states. I mean, to have the Republican, uh, to, to have the governor of a state with uh, 18 million people who uh, has to work with this incoming administration, uh, not be willing to call him president-elect six weeks after the election, that's not normal, is it? No, no. And, and it's, you know, it's all optics, but it does have, as you suggest, you know, sort of a underlying uh, r real serious problem is that he's sort of, you know, seeding the, the, the landscape, he and other governors, that Biden somehow is an illegitimate president and uh, that this is going to continue like to be their their approach with the Biden administration. So, you know, the, Biden has talked about trying to heal the country. Uh, it would seem that based on the reaction of Republican leaders around the, the nation, that, you know, th th that side is not ready to accept any kind of healing or try to move anywhere near a middle, even as, you know, we are still contending with a incredible pandemic that is uh, scourging the country, you know, health-wise and also economically. And we certainly need a lot of, uh, you, know, you know, somehow a direction. And uh, that seems to be something that the country has been lacking in recent months. And it's not just DeSantis. I've reached out to some Republican uh, members of Congress and, and one of them here in Sarasota, Greg Stubbe, um, you know, I haven't heard anything back just asking, you know, after this electoral college vote is is this over? Is is uh, is Biden president uh, elect here and and uh, cricket? So uh, it's amazing how um, how uh, many folks uh, on the GOP side just seem um, uh, 
scared of angering Trump or, or uh, I guess, uh, continuing to think that there's a way to, to fight on here. Well, Trump is on the way out, but the Trump family will continue to be a factor in GOP politics for years to come. There has been speculation about which of Trump's children could run for office with Don Jr. and Ivanka the most likely. Ivanka and her husband, Jared Kushner, recently bought property in the Miami area and CNN reported that Ivanka may consider a run for office here in Florida. She'd have to be a Florida resident for seven years to run for governor, so the U.S. Senate would be the most likely target. Senator Marco Rubio is up for re-election in 2022. Antonio, a matchup between Rubio and, and Ivanka would be one uh, heck of a race to watch. Rubio got trounced by Trump in Florida during the 2016 presidential primary. Do you think he could fend off Ivanka? Well, you know what? This is a, this would be a battle that we political Greeks, uh, geeks would be uh, drooling over. And so probably are Democrats. But, you know, this would be as heavyweight as heavyweight gets in political matchups. And it's interesting that while President Trump continues to challenge the 2020 elections, uh, even without any evidence to do so, at least, you know, the many, despite the many opportunities to present that evidence of massive fraud in courtrooms, uh, two of his family members are actually mulling you looking ahead to 2022 and looking at potential U.S. Senate contests. You mentioned Ivanka. But also, uh, daughter-in-law Laura Trump, who is married to the president's son Eric, is, is reportedly looking at a seat in North Carolina. So the Trumps that are armed with a, a reported $200 million plus from the uh, election fraud, quote-unquote election fraud fundraising in their, their campaign war chest now, uh, aren't just looking to potential for a 2024 comeback by the president, but more like 2022 is, you know, the, the Senate races. Now, you may say, wait. You know, they, they raise that money to, quote unquote, stop the steal. Yes, but read the fine print on those emails. The fine print allows them to use that money for lots of other purposes. So let's look at these potential this potential matchup in Florida in 2022. Uh, Rubio has already tweeted that and he did so right after the November election that, that he will seek reelection and that he is running against socialism. That, that is his opponent, socialism, and he's, he's ready to run his campaign. And he's also been talking about building this working class Republican base. Now, that is intriguing political wording, because if there is one thing Ivanka is not, it's working class. You know, she is a Manhattan fashion designer who's said to be buying land in one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in Miami Beach to sell her supposedly Spanish crooner Julio Iglesias. And, and her politics pre-2016 appeared to be fairly liberal and even early in the Trump administration, she seemed to stake out a more moderate positions in her West Wing role. So again, you know, th all of this is, is decidedly not conservative nor working class. Now, Rubio, for those who are still not too familiar with the senator's background, he hails from West Miami. That's a community, a working class community, anti-socialist enclave in the 305. And he remains very popular in Florida among the GOP establishment or whatever is left of it. And Miami's Cuban voters as well. And, and we know they are a key voting demographic from what we saw in the 2020 election. The wild card here is Trump, not just the president himself, but the name. The Trump brand has proven to be gold in Florida politics. And there are many in the Trump base that don't trust anyone whose name isn't Trump. And th these are registered Republicans who kind of self-identify as Trumplicans. And as you mentioned, Zach, uh, in 20, March 2016, Trump absolutely trounced Rubio in the presidential primary. And keep in mind that the Trump base outside of Miami's Cuban neighborhoods have tended to view Rubio with a little bit of suspicion since that presidential primary campaign. 
Uh, so do those Tea Party voters who carried Rubio to his initial U.S. Senate victory in 2020, I'm sorry, in 2010, but then felt betrayed when Rubio recanted on a hardline immigration stand. So a Rubio-Ivanka U.S. Senate GOP primary would just be a heavyweight battle, but also a race that would clearly tell where the Republican in Florida stands two years after Trump's presidency. And it would be a race where both candidates would find useful lines of attack against each other. The one group that is really hoping for this matchup it's got to be the Florida Democratic Party. A bruising, divisive, and party-splitting primary is exactly what Democrats may need to give them a shot at winning a U.S. Senate seat that would otherwise look like a lock for the GOP. Yeah, you know, you make a really good point, <clears throat> Antonio, about uh, the class issue. You know, obviously, Ivanka is not going to be able to... Uh, to, to sell herself as, as working class. And Rubio has really tried to, um, you know, talk about himself as, as sort of trying to remake the Republican party to appeal to more working class voters. But, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Trump wasn't working class either. And, and he, uh, you know, appealed to, to those voters with his populist persona. I think Ivanka would have a harder time doing that. She's not the, uh, bombastic populist, that her dad is, but she also would really benefit from uh, having her dad on her side, obviously. I mean, uh, you know, the, the GOP is enthralled with uh, uh, President Trump, and uh, I find it hard uh, to see how Rubio, I, I just think um, a lot of Republicans in Florida, uh, you know, uh, uh, re Republican elected officials and, and, and those with any influence would be unwilling to, to go against uh, President Trump, even after he's out of office and, and get behind Rubio. So it would be really interesting to see if some of his support would uh, collapse if the Trump name is on the ballot. There's not just uh, Ivanka and her future in Florida that uh, is getting uh, a lot of speculation recently. The president, uh, his post-White House plans have also been thrown into question. Uh, Antonio, there's some drama happening over uh uh, in Palm Beach with whether uh, Trump should be allowed to, to live in Mar-a-Lago Mar after the election? Yeah, actually, I'm going to give a shout out to my colleague, Christine Stapleton, who reported about a few weeks ago and in November about this uh, obscure 1993 agreement between the Trump, then a, a, a tycoon businessman, a real estate uh, businessman from New York, and the town of Palm Beach over the, the status of Mar-a-Lago. And the, the the brunt of it is that, you know, it, it sounds like in that agreement that Trump would not use Mar-a-Lago as his residence. And of course, now you have these fellow Palm Beachers who have grabbed their pitchforks to keep the president from coming down and, and becoming at least a, a six months a year resident of the town. Um, the interesting thing about this, though, is that it what it's doing, it's, it's kind of ripping off the veneer of of accommodation, shall we say, that we've seen here in the last four years. Trump has a very, very flinty relationship in history with the town of Palm Beach. Battles over a flagpole, battles over a coat of arms on the building, uh, battles with Palm Beach International Airport over flight paths from the airport over Mar-a-Lago, all kinds of really bruising and legal fights uh, with all kinds of accusations and allegations in them. And, you know, even in the town of Palm Beach, you know, this is the, the billionaires club. I mean, this is where the one percenters come to, you know, to spend their, their, their winter season. And, you know, there, there's always been a lot of tension between the Trumps and, and some of the, let's say, some of the A-listers on the island, the A-lister one percenters. So this is kind of 
bubbling, which has been quiet the last four years because nobody wanted to make the president of the United States angry. It's now kind of bubbling up to the surface. So we're, we're going to be hearing a lot more about this. Um, I would also say that the interesting thing is, you know, most people don't know that when Trump is at Mar-a-Lago, it's not like he's out and about in the town of Palm Beach or let, let alone West Palm Beach society. He basically keeps to Trump to Mar-a-Lago. He stays there. It's a club. All his friends are there. People he knows are there. His business associates are there. So he's not out and about. So in a way, having Trump in Mar-a-Lago is probably a relief to the Secret Service because it makes their life guarding a former president a lot, you know, a lot easier. And even for the town of Palm Beach, you know, it's less disruption. But, um, you know, but like I said, this, this tension that has been quiet for the last four years is now seeping to the surface. And I think we're going to be hearing more about this. All right. Palm Beach is fed up with the inconveniences of the Trump presidency. We'll see if those continue. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. John, you had uh, 4.6 million. Tell us about that. I did. Yeah. 4.6 million is the projected number of Floridians who will be on Medicaid next year. The pandemic and the job loss associated with it has really hit many families and uh, health insurance, of course, is lost when people lose a job. And right now, jobs are hard to find. Uh, you know, this Christmas season, uh, th those kind of numbers sound like something out of uh, out of Dickens, right? I mean, it, it is shocking that 4.6 million, that represents about one in five Floridians who are now relying on government aid for health insurance. When you, uh, you add in that uh, an, another 4.6 million older Floridians who are on Medicare, uh, that's another government-supported health program, it, it makes you wonder you know, why the presidential campaign was so fixated on the debate over government-run health care. It, it seems like we already have lots of it. More than 40% of Floridians are already on some kind of government-run health insurance. And this, of course, is a state where Trump performed better in Miami-Dade County, uh, largely powered by uh, the message that electing Joe Biden meant opening the door to a socialist government. But uh, Trump's performance in Miami-Dade is what helped him carry the state. But, uh, but, but getting back to the Medicaid number, uh, state economists are forecasting that another 150,000 Floridians will need to get health coverage for this uh, combined uh, state-federal health program next year. And the overall price tag on Medicaid, uh, again, when you count state and federal dollars uh, for this state, for Florida, it's going to be $32.6 billion. That's about one-third of the state budget. Now, uh, the 4.6 million Medicaid recipients, that, that's a record for Florida. And while it was climbing in the budget year we're currently in, the federal government gave Florida some extra help with financing the program, money that right now is uh, is set to go away next year. So Florida lawmakers, uh, when they're putting together what looks like a very stressed uh, state budget for next year, they're going to have to come up with about $1.2 billion in taxpayer money to uh, cover the cost of this rising population. Uh, th th that's a huge amount, and it's going to dominate a lot of the budget debate when uh, lawmakers finally begin committee meetings next month uh, that will lead up to the regular session in March. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty sobering number, 4.6 million people on, on Medicaid, a record, um, something to to think about going forward. Antonio, you had 21,780? Yeah, that's the number of people who uh, applied for uh, unemployment assistance in Florida uh, this week. These are people who are newly, people who have just lost their jobs and in the past week sought help from the state. Uh, a couple of conclusions we can draw from this. First of all, that number 21,780 is about a third less 
than what reported the previous week. So that alone is good news. It's always good news when there are fewer unemployment uh, unemployment benefits claims, uh, meaning fewer people lost their jobs, and uh, we can you know that's that's always good. However, uh, second, uh, we should be mindful that there are still a lot of people suffering hardship, and we should keep that in mind. And if you are in a position to donate your time or or, or resources or food to a food bank, please consider doing so. These are our neighbors and our community, our fellow residents, and they need help. And if you are in a position to help them out, you know, let's we should all be, be you know consider doing so. And third, those who apply for unemployment this week uh, will now sadly learn that Florida unemployment benefits uh, pays among the lowest weekly rates in the nation, a paltry $275, and state lawmakers show no inclination to change that. Um, and in addition, you know, there is a lot of fear out there that people will start losing their homes and their place where they live as uh, renters lose their, their get evicted as uh, that federal moratorium is set to um, expire at the end of this month. So, um, and the other fourth is while the state numbers were positive this week, the national numbers didn't look so good. Uh, another close to well, 885,000 people sought, lost their jobs and were seeking assistance last week. That's an increase from the previous week's uh, revised level. And even though that's the national number, it does you know, it does impact us. You know, the Florida economy is dependent on economies elsewhere in the U.S., in Europe, in Latin America, not just for tourism, but also for trade and real estate investment, just to name it. And also, I just want to share before we go one quick anecdote. I mentioned uh, during the numbers segment earlier in the summer about a, a personal friend that I had who was trying to open up a restaurant this year. That was his goal. And he was going to open it up in the spring, the pandemic and the shutdown, you know, Put, had him made him put his uh, plans on hold. Then he was going to do so in the summer. We saw the spike in Florida, so he put his plans on hold. Uh, the vaccine came out this week, so he figured, okay, now's the time. People are feeling better. Let me do my my grand opening. Sent out a big text message inviting everybody to the grand opening, and unfortunately, next to nobody will go. Everybody would be happy to do takeout, but people are still very scared about gathering in a restaurant and uh, eating and, and, and potentially exposing themselves to the virus. So, you know, the moral of the story is we can all chew the vaccine, that we, we, but from an economic standpoint, you know, the start of 2021 is still going to be challenging. And so we want to wish everyone a, a safe and prosperous new year, but we'll, let's know that we are all going to have to lean and count on each other as much as we did in, in 2020, because the, the start to 2021 from an economic standpoint and ultimately a political standpoint, the ramifications that start to 2021, it's still going to be hard. That is very true. Another uh, little kind of depressing number there. And these are difficult times, though. And my number is also along that theme. I guess we were all in kind of a gloomy mood this week. But, uh, you know, it, it's uh, despite the vaccine, there are, are still a lot of challenges. My number is $5 billion, as in the state of Florida, is facing a $5 billion budget cap over the next two years because the economic dip caused by the pandemic has caused tax revenues to drop. Congress is on the cusp of finally approving another coronavirus relief package worth $900 million. But Republicans, such as Florida Senator Rick Scott, have staunchly opposed aid to state and local governments. So that's not in the deal. That means Florida won't get any money to help with the budget deficit. And that means we're going to uh, be seeing some big cuts, as John mentioned, which could result in layoffs that will further depress an economy that appears to be getting 
worse again as we endure another spike in infections. That could make uh, for a not so pleasant start to uh, 2021 for many people, but there's hope that the arrival of vaccines could lead to a big economic rebound that mitigates state budget cuts and deficits. Only time will tell. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics, folks. We want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. Thanks to all of you for listening. We're going to be taking a a two-week break and we'll return in the new year. So Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year's. Stay safe. We're out of here.